And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. With questions and participants from all around the world. That on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Back is I missed this shot, I walk away, I'm still a chump. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schleck. Go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get The Athletic for $1 a month for six months. It's a great deal. You can go read our guest today, Sam Vecini. He's always writing cool stuff about rookies or the upcoming draft. You can go read that for $1 a month for six months. It's great stuff. With me, as always, is my good friend, Alex Spears. Alex, tell me what happened in the NBA this week. Well, Andrew, every time I do the Week in Review, I always say what a week it was. And to be honest to the listeners, some weeks I'm lying to you. Some weeks (laughs) it's just a fine week or a whatever week. But this week, this week was special, Andrew, and it all started on Friday with the first of two matchups between the Kings and the Jazz. In the first matchup, Kevin Herter dropped 30, including the go-ahead three with nine seconds left to help the Kings win 126 to 125. Pretty good game. But on Tuesday, these two teams decided, hey, we can do better than that. It was another back and forth affair that saw De'Aaron Fox score 22 points in the fourth quarter alone, none more important than the layup he hit with 0.4 seconds left. But don't like the beam just yet because on the subsequent play, the Jazz threw a length of the court pass to Lowry Markinen, who turned around and hit a three as time expired to give the Jazz a 118-117 win. The crowd went wild until they didn't, <laughs> as replay showed the ball was still in Markinen's hand as time expired. Fire up that beam for the fifth-seeded Sacramento Kings. On Saturday, it was rock bottom for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Coming off five straight losses, the Timberwolves were looking to get back on track at home against the nine-win Pistons. Not only did the Wolves not get back on track, they lost by 12, which included the Wolves bench getting outscored 63-20 to by the Pistons bench. After the game, the Timberwolves held a player-only meeting, and Coach Chris Finch suggested postgame that he would be taking a long, hard look at the rotation. Now, the good news for Wolves fans is that something worked because the Wolves have since won two in a row, including a win over Denver, the number one seed in the West, and the Portland Trailblazers. Two nice wins, and the Wolves got some much-needed help with Tarin Prince's return to the lineup. On Sunday, it was a showdown between the between two of the top teams in the league, Denver and Boston, and two of the top MVP candidates, Jason Tatum and Nikola Jokic. Denver controlled most of the game, but had to delay their celebrations after Robert Williams III dunked with 6.43 left in the fourth quarter, causing the rim to go crooked. It took arena workers over 30 minutes to fix the issue, after which the Nuggets finally finished off a statement 123-111 win, which included a 30-12-12 triple-double from Jokic. 
On Monday, we had five different players have 40-point games. In Charlotte, LeBron James scored 43 just three days after scoring 47 against the Hawks on his birthday. LeBron now holds two of the 15 games in NBA history when a player 38 years or older scored 40 points. In Philly, Joel Embiid scored 42 in a 120-111 win over the New Orleans Pelicans. Zion Williamson pulled up late in the third in that game and was later diagnosed with a hamstring strain that will keep him out at least three weeks. In Golden State, Klay Thompson scored 54 in a wildly entertaining 143-141 double overtime Warriors win against the Hawks. And finally, in Cleveland, DeMar DeRozan scored 44, which on any other night would be an amazing feat. But on this night, however, there was a higher standard because Donovan Mitchell scored 71 points in the 145-134 to overtime Cavs win. Mitchell's 71 points are the most since Kobe's 81 and is the eighth most points scored in NBA history. Now on Tuesday, the league got back to normal with totally normal things happening, such as the Oklahoma City Thunder scoring 150 <laughs> points on the Celtics, the second most points that have ever been scored against Boston, a franchise that has existed since 1946. The Thunder had five players score at least 20 points, something that has only happened 18 times in NBA history. On Wednesday, Giannis continued to make up fantasy lines in a 104-101 overtime win over the Raptors. Giannis put up a 30-21-10. This was one game after he put up a 55-10-7, which was one game after he put up a 43-25, which of course was one game after he put up a 45-22-7. Insane. That's... How many games was that? So crazy. That was four it's games. So crazy. <laughs> yeah. I think it was our buddy outside the NBA that said that those aren't those aren't stat lines, those are locker combinations. It's yeah, if you have him in fantasy right now and you lost, there, you have a problem. You have a real problem. You gotta look at yourself in the mirror because Giannis <laughs> did everything he was supposed to do for you. Uh the Raptors, meanwhile, have dropped to 16 and 22, a full game out of the play-in in 12th. Now, the good news for Raptors fans is that every week, including this one, there is a new report out that Masai could get the biggest trade package in NBA history if he decides to trade Pascal Siakam or OG Ananobi. So something to look forward to for Raps fans. And finally, on Thursday night, let's go back and check in on the Jazz. They came into Thursday night, losers of five in a row. All close losses where the combined deficit in those five games was only 17 total points. It was a frustrating run that saw the Jazz tumble all the way down to the 10th spot in the West. Good news, though, the Houston Rockets are coming to town. And on Thursday night, the Jazz found their groove en route to a 131-114 win. To cap off our wild week of scoring, Larry Markinen dropped 49 in the game. That was the 90th game this season where a player scored 40 in a game. And to put that in perspective... Last season, Whoa. there were 119 games over the 82-game season where a player scored 40 in a game. We're not even halfway through the season and are 75% of the way to last season's total. What a week it was, Andrew. An incredible week of basketball. And Al, things changed a little bit for us this week. Our friends at the Hoops Adjacent Podcast had Will Guillory on to talk Pelicans. Well, it's supposed to be Pelicans week here. But we didn't want to give you too much Will Guillory this week. We'll, we'll have Will on next week, talk more Pelicans. We're going to spread the love of Will 
over the next couple weeks. Lots of Pelicans talk. So we thought to ourselves, hmm, who should we get for this week? And there's nobody more perfect to bring on than our guy Sam Bassini, who hosts the Game Theory Podcast, which you can also watch on YouTube. If you're into watching podcasts on YouTube, go check that out. He also writes for The Athletic. He wrote a rookie rankings this week that we're going to dive into. He also has a mock draft coming up, I assume, very soon. Uh, Sam Vecini, thanks so much for joining us on the Saturday Slam and Jam. I like being the replacement spoke on the wheel. That, that <laughs> is what I think of myself as, and it makes me very happy. Uh, I'm I should very add glad you to be to, here. I should add you to the wheel. You so you could just land on it randomly during the year. No, no you, you need me to be the person that when the schedule gets hairy and when things get wild, you can just call me. I, yeah. I, I like being the I like being the person who's the uh, I'm the Michael Clayton of this podcast. I'm the fixer. I come in when things go haywire. Uh, someone runs a biker off the street. Uh, you're Dennis O'Hare throwing a glass against a wall or whatever, and I'm coming in and just <laughs> fixing things for everyone. That's right. Yeah, and and honestly, when I think about, okay, what would people want to hear about? I think people love to hear about the future and potential yeah. and what what could be. Like That's one of like the most fun things to listen to. So that's what we're doing today. So let's start big picture. We're going to talk about the rookie class first, and then we're going to talk about the NBA draft. Um, also on this show. So let's talk big picture first. This 2022 draft class overall, what are, what are your thoughts on it? How do you think of it now compared to how you thought of it pre-draft? Just give me your overall thoughts on the 22 class. I think I think of it very similarly to how I thought of it pre-draft in that I don't know how many all-stars there are going to be in this class, but I think it's a really deep group of players that because there are so many wings and there's so much positional versatility and skill set versatility in the guys that were drafted. I believe that there are going to be a ton of role players in this class. Like our good friend, John Hollinger always says something like there are 20 players in each draft class that mm -hmm. are good. That's the average, right? Yeah. I think that we're going to exceed that in this draft class. I do. I like, there are something like, 17, 18, 19 guys already that you can look at and say, these guys are genuinely in rotations as rookies playing a pivotal role. If you want to include someone like Marjan Beauchamp, who sure. you know had a couple of really nice cuts last night, made a couple of threes for the Bucks, looks like a rotation player every single time he's out on the court. I, I really think that there is a high degree of, uh, of competency in this draft that is going to help the league long-term uh, moving forward. I, I really, really enjoy this draft class quite a bit, even if I worry that like, you know, maybe we only get like a couple of all-stars. So this week you released a updated rookie rankings. Your top two has stayed the same. Paulo Bancaro and Benedict Matherin in the top two spots. Your number three rookie, however, is someone new. Jalen Williams, a.k.a. J-Dub from the Oklahoma City Thunder, who shot up draft boards in the pre-draft process and has shot up your rookie rankings from number six to number three. Now, one of the things that uh, Thunder fans have talked about, and by that I mean me and Andrew, is how much we wish he would take more <laughs> shots, wish he would get more responsibility. Having watched him, what kind of upside do you think he has? Yeah, I think that he's the kind of guy that just plays super, super well off of star players because of how 
complete his skill set is, right? Like you guys watch him every night. Like there are, there's one possession where he will grab and go on the break and bring the ball off the court. And then the next possession while Josh and Shay are in, he'll be like setting a screen and diving to the rim or picking and popping. Right. And then the next possession, he'll be in the dunker spot. And then the next possession they take one of Josh or Shay off the court. And then the other team will make a bucket and he just brings the ball off the court as the primary ball handler. It's that versatility of skill set that I think is super, super valuable for him. And it's why I do think there is probably a little bit more upside than what people think, but like, I feel pretty safe projecting that he's going to be somewhere like an 18 to 20 point per game, six, seven rebound, three, four assists per game, Mm -hmm. something like that. And maybe not an all-star, but a guy that we look at as, man, this guy's really good. He's just really, really, really helps you win out there yeah. a lot of the time. And and the only major flaw offensively right now seems to be his three-point shot. He's currently shooting 28% yeah. from three, 74% from the line. How confident were scouts and you about his shot coming into the draft? Fairly confident with reservations, I, I guess I would say, insofar as it was only like one great year where he was yeah. like a legit shooter at Santa Clara. I'm still not worried about the shot. Like it, it's comfortable like I don't know if he's ever going to be like a seven three-point attempt per game guy just because the mechanics of the shot like it's a bit slow developing and like it's never his first inclination I would say is to like catch and shoot if he's wide open he'll take them for sure and I think that like he could stand to work on his shot prep a little bit just to like be ready for when the ball comes to him uh, as a shooter as opposed to as a driver but I really do think that he'll knock down 35 to 37 from three at some point, like pretty comfortably Uh, just he'll, he'll get open ones playing off of Shea Gilgis Alexander and Josh Giddy. Yeah. I'm not worried about the shot long-term at all. Thank you. And then what do you think about like his position or does it even matter? Like what position he plays? Cause he's like, he's played point guard. He's played. I mean, you, you mentioned he played in the dunker spot. Like he's, was probably technically the center on offense for the Thunder at times. Like what <laughs> what position do you think he settles in at? Yeah. It's interesting insofar as like I think that the way I think of it is more what players can he play with. Right. Sure. And I think he plays really well off of Shea Gilgis Alexander. I think that Josh Giddy hits him all the time on like cuts and like he's like, he'll hit like a 45 cut and Josh just obviously sees it every single time. And it's just like, okay, this is super valuable. He plays really, really well with Josh, but like I do worry a little bit about having both of those guys on the court in the playoffs and then probably having to have Lou Dort out on the court with them in order to Mm -hmm. get some like defense out on the court because that is the one place where Jalen's probably been a little bit deficient this year is defensively. Uh, yeah, his feet no have doubt. been a little bit slow. Like he's still learning, I think, how to defend at the highest levels. But I, I do think he's going to be probably more of like a secondary ball handler next to someone really high level like Shea. Play him next to one of Josh or Shea probably. Can run second units you know, or could play with all three of the, it's just like, he can kind of do, he can kind of play with anyone is kind of my point when Mm -hmm. I say all of this. Like, I think that that's what makes him so valuable is that 
you can play him at the two or the four in specific lineups because he's six foot six with a seven foot two wingspan. And he looks big out there. Like when you watch him play, Mm -hmm. like he looks enormous out there. So Mm -hmm. like you can just do a lot of different things with him. I think that allow him to be successful and that really helps you when you're building a team. And that really helps you when you're trying to construct lineups as a coach, having someone that has that versatility of skill set, dribble pass, hopefully shoot. And then defensively, he's going to have to figure it out. But like, if he doesn't figure it out defensively, there are bigger problems anyway. So, right. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I think that he's just like a chess piece almost. He's almost like a, it's not quite a queen, but like a chess piece that can move a lot of different directions. Maybe not all of the different directions, right? Uh, that's going to be really valuable for a coach and for Sam Presti as he's building that roster. Another player who made a pretty big jump in your recent rankings is A.J. Griffin. You have at number four in your latest rankings. Griffin is shooting. Griffin's shooting is his biggest strength coming into the draft, and he's already providing that for the Hawks with his floor spacing. Uh, one of the biggest question marks about Griffin was his defense. How do you think that he's fared so far at that end? Surprisingly okay. Uh, mm. I was very worried about him defensively. Like, he played super boxy, super square at Duke, and he just looked like he couldn't drop his hips. He looked very inflexible at Duke. And a lot of that has gone away is he's gotten to the NBA and as much as anything in AJ's case, he's gotten healthier, right? Like AJ Griffin missed a substantial, most of, if not all of his junior and senior seasons in high school. He got hurt before his freshman season at Duke and that put him behind the eight ball, I think pretty substantially. And it caused some issues in terms of integrating him. Now integration is different than like, when you would watch him, like he just looked super boxy and like he couldn't move and like drop his hips. Right. But I think as he's gotten healthier and I think as like, he's gotten more comfortable, like further out past like the knee injury, further out past everything. He just looks a lot more fluid out there. I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's been like a plus defender already, but I don't think he is as substantially negative as what I thought. And when you mix that with the elite level shooting ability and the potential he has shown at times playing next to DeJounte Murray and Trey Young to create an occasional shot, particularly off of an advantage situation when someone closes out on him heavily, there's a lot there to really like. I had him at like 11 on my board. Mm -hmm. I think I was a little bit lower on him probably than consensus. Uh, I, I was more in the boat that NBA teams were that I thought that like this he has some issues. Obviously he goes, I think 16th overall, if I remember correctly. Um, so you just kind of, he's a fascinating guy because you, you really, it was almost worth throwing out the Duke tape and like going back to him rocking at the U 16s for team USA and like some of the high school tape that was super, super impressive. It's, it, it's weird. He, he's a weird, weird evaluation because that Duke tape was almost, seemingly at least non descriptive in terms of what his athleticism actually might be. So you had an extended write up on Dyson Daniels in your rookie rankings. You detailed some of the defensive plays that get you excited about his future. 
Sam, I want you to I want to read something that you wrote that really puts your excitement into context. You wrote, quote, I'm not exaggerating when I say there are few better, more versatile defenders I've seen across the entire NBA this season. People, people perimeter, rightfully yeah. people rightfully melted down about Herb Jones last year on the defensive end, and he was one of the more rookie-ready defenders we've seen in the league in a few years. Daniels is better. Now, that is some high praise. What makes Daniels so good defensively? It's the mix of being six foot seven with a six eleven wingspan, super aggressive, having elite level lateral quickness, and then on top of it, being able to absorb contact through his chest at a really high level. Like you can't really like Luka Doncic can move him because Luka can move anyone with his shoulder yeah. at any point that is guarding him, but. You can't really like even like Anthony Edwards, like tried to put his shoulder into Dyson a couple of times uh, against Minnesota and like wasn't all that successful doing it. So it's that mix of just being able to stay in front of guys and being strong and not being able to get blown through. And then on top of it, his instincts in terms of scramble rotations are off the charts. He is everywhere. And so was Herb last year, to be clear. Herb was unbelievable with this as well. Dyson is just everywhere. Everything is so economical. His footwork is so clean. There is never a foot that's like quite out of place. His closeouts are super under control. Sometimes he goes up for a block and sometimes he gets it. His hand-eye coordination is unbelievable. Whenever he goes down for a dig or whenever uh, someone tries to go up for a shot and he tries to just like rip it right before they actually load the shot. Um, his transition defense, like it, it is crazy good. I, for someone who is 19 years old, I don't understand how someone who's 19 years old could be this good at transition defense. Uh, his instincts in terms of playing the gap in two-on-ones in those situations is just crazy. Like his hand-eye coordination is awesome. He's really good at baiting and then recovering back once he sees the guy is going to make the pass. He's just really instinctive and he has incredible anticipation in terms of being able to read the eyes of offensive players and understanding what they're trying to do. And he's just remarkably, remarkably disruptive. Look, like he's not playing as many minutes as Herb did last year because the Pelicans are deeper and they're yeah. arguably the best team in the Western Conference. But every time I watch Tyson Daniels, I'm just like blown away defensively with what I see from him. In the same we, way that I was with Herb last year. But like, yeah, I think Dyson is Dyson is crazy good. And how are you feeling about his offensive side, like the upside there? Uh, clearly, he's been good enough yeah. to keep on the floor for the Pelicans. But what are you thinking long term with him? I would like him to be more selfish. Like, <laughs> it, it's very rare for me to say that about a player. But I would like to see him try and, like, do more even because he can handle. He can take ball screens. He's a super high level passer. Uh, the shooting is coming along. Like, ultimately, that's the big question, right? He, he was compared to Giddy a little bit just because they're both Australian big point guards, right? And Josh was always the drastically better passer. And Dyson was always the more athletic defender. And, you know, you can point to this, that, and the other thing. But uh, I think that with Dyson, he needs to really develop that shooting ability, particularly off the catch to where he's comfortable and confident, not to where he's just pump faking and driving and trying to create an opportunity for someone else. 
I want him just to fire at the end of the day. Yeah. I want him to fire threes. And if he does that, he's going to be one of the best rotation players in the NBA. Like he'll be like a starting caliber, like star role player that will make hundreds of millions of dollars given the way the salary cap is going to rise. Hmm. So there were three players uh, who are in your top 15 that were taken after the 20th pick. Christian Brown, Walker Kessler, and Andrew Nimhard. Which of those three do you think scouts missed on the most during the draft process? Christian Brown, Walker Kessler, Kessler and Nimhard. Andrew yeah. Nemhard. I will speak for myself on this one and say Andrew Nemhard. I ended up with Nemhard like in the 30s somewhere. Um, Mm -hmm. there were teams that had him as a first round grade. I'm sure the Pacers were one of them having taken him at 31, just the way that boards tend to work. Um, there were certainly a few other teams that I'd heard from that thought he was absolutely a late first round grade. Um, the thing that I didn't, he was not as good defensively at Gonzaga as what he is now. <laughs> like there are moments where he will guard the opposing team's best player for minutes on end uh, right now for the Pacers. And the results are mixed, right? Like he's not some shutdown lockdown defender, but just being able to accept that assignment and handle that assignment frees up Tyrese Halliburton. It frees up Ben Mather and it frees up Crystal Duarte. It frees up, um, you know, Aaron Naismith from not having to do it and, and like being able to just be open to shoot. Right. So just that ability to take on those tough assignments is valuable. I never thought in a million years he'd be able to do that. I absolutely never thought he would. I thought he would be a defensive liability to be honest. And he is not that he has worked so hard, very clearly to become a, a good defender an average defender in the NBA as a rookie to where I can see him becoming a good defender long-term. Um, yeah. I mean, he's just, he's super valuable. The, it, the stat sheet doesn't like, it doesn't jump off the page with him, but like he and Tyrese Halliburton and TJ McConnell, like embody so much of what is like the team that averages the second most passes in the league right now. They play incredibly unselfish basketball and, um, he is so selfless in what he does for that team. He, I, I think that I, I saw him as a backup point guard. It would not surprise me if he ends up being like the 20th best point guard in the league at some point. Wow. Uh, so last question on this current rookie class. We talk about fit a lot when it comes to the draft, landing in the right environment, how much that has to do with a player's eventual success. The three guys we just mentioned all seem to end up in really good environments for their skill sets. So let's flip it around. Which rookies do you think are being most hampered by the team environment that they landed in on draft night? Al, I can always count on you to make me think about something that (laughs) I haven't quite thought about yet uh, in that context. Like, look, I mean, there was a report from Will Winston um, who was at covering the Pelicans game against Houston last night or two nights ago as we're Mm. recording this uh that said like jabari smith like screamed at the coaching staff to take alper and shangun out of the game because he was getting cooked defensively um Mm -hmm. i i i i I would like to see jabari smith in a place that would feed him 
open shots a bit more regularly, but like, look, we also need to acknowledge like Jabari Smith also started the season terribly on his own accord. Um, you know, sure. You can point to the fact that Kevin Porter and Jalen green are score first point guards and shooting guards and like to, you know, miss open kickouts to him, but he also is just like missing shots. Like at the end of the day. Yeah. And, you know, if you're shooting 31% from three in your first X number of games, uh, I think it was like the first 17 games Jabari played this year. Then like, why would they have the confidence in you that you're going to keep knocking it down? But now that he's playing well again, I think that you can kind of see. You can see the vision for what he should be, and you can see kind of why I can imagine him getting frustrated. Like over, over his last 22 games, he's averaging 13 and a half points, seven rebounds, 44% from the field, 35% from three, 80% from the line for like a 19 year old big. Those are awesome numbers, right? Mm -hmm. um, and he plays really high level defense. He's constantly trying to help out everyone on that end of the court. Um, he's the one that like, I think is trying to like hold people accountable defensively on some level on that team, but that Houston team, it seems like is in desperate need of veterans that can be leaders. And I think that that's why look, they have three rookies that I really like. I really like Ty, Ty, Ty Washington. I really like Tari Eason. I think I had all three of them as lottery grades last year. So I love what they've done from an evaluation perspective in the NBA draft. And I think Tari looks great as well. And I think in the minutes that Ty Ty has played, he's looked really good. And if you look at Ty Ty's G league stuff, he's looked really good in the G league. Um, but I, I think situationally the Rockets could really desperately use some veterans for competence sake uh, hmm. in like leadership sake. Uh, a veteran like James Harden. Is that what you're talking about in the off season? Ooh. Uh, hard pass on oh. uh, on on answering that. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, since um, we're gonna hard pass, we're gonna we're gonna take a break. Let's uh, we're gonna talk about the the NBA draft. Ooh, NBA draft is fun. We're gonna talk about that right after this quick break. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And we're back after that quick break. Let's talk about the 2023 class. Everybody's focused on Wimby and Scoot. Let's talk about Wimby. Let's talk about Scoot. That's all that we're going to talk about. But no, not here. Let's assume that those those guys will go number one, number two. 
who is third? Like, if you're going to handicap this race for the third spot, who would you say is the clear leader for the third spot in the 2023 draft? So, slight cop out. I don't think there's a clear leader. Okay. I would take look it would be very dependent on team situation in terms of who i would okay. take I, I really like amen thompson's upside uh okay. he is a six foot seven point guard with a six eleven wingspan he's an incredible defensive playmaker there are very real flaws defensively that we can talk about if you want to but like his athleticism his motor uh his recovery speed like his ability to just like disrupt you at the point of attack. Like he can press you, you know, 90 feet if he wants to like, there's just a lot there defensively. He is going to enter the NBA. I don't say this really about anyone entering the NBA. I don't even think I really said it about Shaden Sharp last year. And we've all seen how elite Shaden Sharp is athletically. I can't emphasize enough. Like Amon Thompson is going to enter the NBA next year is like one of the five best athletes in the NBA. Which is insane <laughs> to say. It's so crazy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if you wanted to make a case for him as like the most explosive player in the NBA next year, outside of like maybe John Morant, I I would listen at the very like I, I don't know if I wow. would agree, but I would listen to that argument. Uh his twitch, his explosiveness, his first step, his easy, like he gets off the ground easy as a leaper, but like can throw down violently if he wants to. Uh, he is he is a special athlete. Uh, he's explosive. He's twitchy. Everything there. And then on top of it, he's an elite level passer. He is so creative in terms of the way he sees angles, in terms of the way he sees the court. He manipulates backside defenders already as a passer, which is like kind of not normal for a teenager. Uh, I think he'll turn 20 before the draft, but like he is... He is really a, an impressive, impressive player who really can't shoot at all. <laughs> like, not even a little bit. Uh, and it's going to be a fascinating process because, like, like we, we were worried about John Morant's shot coming into the NBA. John Morant was a yeah. drastically better shooter than what Amon Thompson is. And John's gotten to the point where like he can take like pull-ups. If someone goes like way under ball screens, Amin is a few years away from that, at least from being able to like confidently walk into a pull-up three. If someone goes like seven feet under his screen. And because of that, how, how does this all work at the NBA level in the modern NBA? 15 years ago, we saw it worked with Russell Westbrook. Right. Russ got to the NBA and he was so explosive athletically and could just make so many things happen out on the court that it didn't matter. Right. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what Amen Thompson is. And it's going to be a really interesting philosophical debate during this draft cycle of, well, is Russell Westbrook just a bit older now? Or has the game changed to make players like Russell Westbrook less effective now to where they aren't as valuable? Is someone like Ben Simmons, is it the injury that has sapped him? Or has the game changed in this modern era so drastically 
towards skill set and shooting that these guys are just less effective now, even though a men Thompson is like a walking paint touch. Oh, wow. That, that, what a huge question. What a huge philosophical question to be asking about a men Thompson. So is it like a, is his shot completely broken? Does it need to, could it, would it be like reworked from the so ground he's up? Like kind of in the middle of like reworking it a little bit. It feels okay. like, uh, like during this season at OTE, um, he, but it's going to take time. Like it is a, there are a lot of mechanical tweaks. Like I can pull up my like scouting notes real quick as we're talking. Cause I have them open. Um, yeah. does, does OT have a like quote unquote shooting coach? I've they heard have that a they lot do. of, yeah, that, like that. Yeah. Yes. The answer is yes. But, okay. um, so let's see here. What do I got? Uh, I don't really like anything mechanically here. He's rarely ready and prepped to uh, off the catch to fire from three, if only because like he's always just been so attack oriented. Right. So like his shot prep is not yeah. very good with his feet. Um, doesn't really engo- uh, engage his lower half feels like uh, shooting is a second decision for him. Uh, really brings his momentum forward on the shot. Shoots kind of like out in front of his face. The shot looks very boxy and stiff. Um very squared off in his lower half, um, kind of a low release point, and then follow through falls away toward the right side whenever he shoots it, or follow through uh, falls away toward the right side. So th- it's like it's a number of things to work on, yeah. and the way that like I when I talk to shooting coaches, I know that they tend to like to build ground up. So it's, it's a multi-year process for Amen. Here's what I will say though. Both Amen and Asor Thompson are super high level workers and like very, very like high character want to be great at basketball. Um, Mm. All of that. So he will get the most out of his shot, whatever it is, he will get, he will, work as hard as he can to figure out an answer to this. It's just, it's going to take a lot of time, I think, to get an answer. So, so tell us about a Um, like what are the differences between the two brothers? Yeah. Um, why, why is Amon some, like he's thought of almost by everybody as like the higher level prospect. Can you like explain why? Yeah. So he, Amon is a bit twitchier than a sore. Uh, a sore is more of like a technician in terms of footwork. This isn't to say a sore is like a lacking athlete in any regard. A sore will enter the NBA as like one of the 25 best athletes in the NBA, but it's that degree of like twitch that Amen has that a sore tries to get by using like footwork and stride length and uh, like technical um, technical ball handling as opposed to just like, I'm going to set this guy up with a hezzy crossover and then bam, I'm in the paint with mm-hmm. Amen. Um, everything is a lot more direct with Amen. Uh, Asor is a closer shooter right now uh, to being okay. He has had stretches this year where he's been bad. He has had stretches this year where he's really made shots. Um 
that's more important for him because he doesn't necessarily have that twitch that Amon does, which probably means that he's going to have to play off the ball more consistently than Amon does. Because, I mean, look, that's kind of the way they were brought up. Amen was the point guard, Asor was more the wing, right? So he'll have to play a little bit more off the ball and shooting is just so, so much more important for those guys because otherwise teams can just sag off of you at the end of the day, right? So both are good defenders. I think a sore is a little bit more polished technically defensively. Uh, I, I think that like he isn't as much of a riverboat gambler. He is not as much of a, uh, he doesn't fall asleep as often defensively. Uh, he should be a very high level defender. A men should be a very high level defender. A sore is just someone that I think is probably like a little bit more trustworthy with a little bit less upside than a men. If everything goes mm-hmm. right for both of them. So if you have a men at three, but you mentioned that you don't think there's a consensus guy right now, how big do you think that tier is of guys you'd be willing to hear the argument for going number three? Yeah. Um, I would listen to a men Thompson, Kim Whitmore, Anthony black, a sore. I think I would listen regarding Brandon Miller. Um, I think I want to see more of Nick Smith. Like, I, I don't know that I quite get there with him. Yeah. Uh, I, I might listen on, look, if someone wanted to make like a youth case on GG Jackson, where you're just like, look, the South Carolina thing is he's still producing and it's nowhere indicative of what his role will be in the NBA. I'll listen. I don't agree with it, but like I'll I'll hear it out. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like it's a, it's a sizable group at three right now. I think like it's so early in the process. Like there's no point in being hard and fast in terms of what you're slotting here. Uh, it's, there's still so much time. There's so much basketball to be played that, um, there are quite a few guys that I'll at least hear out arguments for. So when you released your big board in late November, you mentioned in the introduction that at that point in the season, you were struggling more with your big board than in previous seasons. Part of that was because seven of the preseason top 10 prospects either hadn't played or had not played up to preseason expectations. So it's been a little over a month since then. Is there anyone from that group that you were feeling more or less confident in now that you've seen them play a bit more? Yeah, I would say that like, I feel better about Keontae George than I did probably even a month ago, right? Okay. Um, Early on, I think Keontae struggled a little bit with, I don't want to say the speed of the game, but I thought that like the athleticism question that he has. He's not like a wildly explosive combo guard. He is like an average athlete combo guard. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that like early on, he could kind of be baited into taking some bad shots that ended up being a little bit more contested than when he thought they would be. Um, But now that he's comfortable, he's really just kind of able to like dictate pace of the game at a super high level and get his man like completely off balance not quite at will, but like pretty easily. Um, I, I had Keontae like more in like the 13 to 16 range at that point. Um, I, I would probably have him more around like eight 
at this point, I think like seven okay. or eight. Like I, I feel, I feel pretty good about him now. Um, uh, other guys that like have really, I, I'm like even trying to remember what my board looked like at that point. Um, Derek Lively has like not helped himself. Um, yeah. What about Dariq? I mean, Dariq yeah. Yeah. He just like, hasn't really gotten a chance uh like he's playing off the bench he's starting to he's starting to get healthier as much as anything um and i'm really interested to see him in a month from now but like i don't know that anything we've seen from Derek whitehead is even like worth talking about mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah mm-hmm. yeah what about grady dick as like a one and done prospect like what is like obviously he's a shooter but like is he going to be able to defend at a high enough level to stay on the court? Yeah, I think I'll say this. He's more than a shooter uh, offensively. Like he is okay. an excellent cutter. He can handle the ball in like some secondary actions. Uh, he's really, really smart. He moves super well without the ball. Uh, he's not just like a spot shoot guy. Um, he, he like, he can attack a closeout and then like drive and kick and like hit a corner kick out or like a cross wing kick out. Like he, he's like a, He's a shooter plus basically like he'll hit 40% of his threes, but he'll do more than that offensively. Um, Defensively. I was significantly worried early on in the season. He has, he has quelled some of those concerns for me. I I thought his game against Indiana was actually quite good defensively. Um, I'm still a bit, I'm worried about it. Like he's not, super strong and i think that nba players are going to push him around pretty easily but like i have more faith he can get to like a non-disaster level now which is really all he needs to be you know a top 18 top 16 pick in the draft uh mm-hmm. like he, he he's really good offensively like his his skill set translates really really well to being able to knock down uh shots is like a complimentary piece out on the court yeah uh, so so every year it seems like there's a prospect or two who no one was thinking of as a one-and-done prospect uh, a few months into the season. They're obviously a first-rounder. Um, are there any prospects like this this year that you just weren't expecting to look as good as they do? Yeah, I'll point to two. Uh, I thought Bryce Nensabaugh had a real shot to go one-and-done. Uh, like mm-hmm. I talked to Ohio State staff. They said he looked really, really, really good. Um during preseason and everything they weren't sure he'd be like a one and done necessarily, but they were like, Oh wow. Like, no, he looks great. Um, his ability to create shots and make tough shots is very high level. He's like six foot six, 235 pounds. He looks like almost like a linebacker out there a little bit, but also like really, really, um, is shifty in a weird way, but like also can move guys kind of in a weird way. Like guys bounce off of them uh, as they're trying to guard him on the ball. Uh, Very, very interesting. Very, very interesting player. He has a lot of work to do defensively. Offensively in terms of like the passing and playmaking, there are a lot of things he could improve. Although I think that he's a better live dribble passer than like what the numbers will say. Uh, for him. The other guy that like really, really stands out is Taylor Hendricks at UCF. Uh, Nobody I talked to thought he was a one and done coming into the Mm. year. Uh, Six foot nine ish, 
like four man basically who can step out and knock down threes. He's versatile defensively. He almost plays like center for UCF a lot of the time, but uh, anytime that you're six foot nine and you can shoot 41% from three and 79% from the line and average 15 and seven as a freshman in a pretty reasonable league, you're going to be on the radar as a one and done at the end of the day. If you have any sort of defensive versatility and like he's blocking almost two shots a game, like he's there's quite a bit there for him. It's just hard to find guys that are six foot nine that can shoot like this and like have a chance to defend that. That size is a real differentiator for him. So I want to ask you about Brandon Miller because you had him at number six on your big board at the end of November. He's a yep. uh, six nine forward from Alabama, currently shooting forty four percent from three. Interestingly, that is higher than what he is shooting from two point range, where he's currently shooting under forty two percent. He also has a negative assist turnover ratio and a low steal percentage. How concerned should I be about the rest of Miller's game outside of his shooting? Is there important context that would help to explain some of these statistical downers? So I think that. There are some things you should be concerned about and some things that you shouldn't be. I, I'll be honest with you as an evaluator. I just kind of don't care about steal rate. Um, okay. I, I just don't. Uh, it, it's something that's happening on at most two and a half possessions of defensive like play per game. And I, I don't really find it to be like a worthwhile statistical indicator of how good a defensive player is. Right. Um, What I will say with Miller in terms of the on ball stuff is he is very good at being able to take a ball screen, string out a defender, uh, get a mismatch on the perimeter right now. Like the footwork that allows you to do that stuff and the pace and the poise that allows you to be effective doing that but I don't think he is very good right now with his footwork. And I don't think he's very good at like gathering to go up to the rim uh, at this point. Part of that is that his footwork is off. Part of it is that I think his lower body doesn't have a ton of strength right now. So what evaluators are going to have to determine with Brandon Miller is how much work do you think you can do on his lower half? How much strength do you think you can add to Brandon Miller's lower half without compromising his movement skills that allow him to be a fairly switchable defender defensively where like, yeah, he's not an elite defender, but he can absolutely hold up against guards. Like he can hold, he can hold up on his own essentially defensively. So that's the tricky thing with Miller is trying to figure out how much lower body strength do you think you can add to this guy? If, if it's a lot, like if you think you can like really get him strong and like fix the footwork, I I think he is like pretty close to being a top five pick, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting conversation for sure. The the two, that's why the two point percentage is bad though. It's the footwork in like the lack of lower body strength driving to the paint. Hmm. Uh, One of my favorite prospects that I've had a chance to watch is Anthony black out of Arkansas. He's kind of this like combo guard forward. He plays a lot of point guard for Arkansas, but he can just like do so many things. Uh, yeah. Great passer, uh, love the hair, love the the defense. I'm a big fan of him. The only thing that I'm concerned about is his shot. Like, how 
concerned should an NBA team be about his shot if they decide to take him like somewhere in the top 10? Yeah. I also love Anthony Black. Uh, one of my favorite players in the country this year. I think he is one of the best guards in all of college basketball, just point blank. Yeah. Uh, his ability to process the game is so high level. The way he thinks basketball is exactly how I want players to think basketball. Uh, he's super unselfish. He recognizes advantages for his teammates. If it's going to lead to an assist or not an assist, it doesn't matter to him. Um, he is just super, super effective as a playmaker and as a uh, as a lead ball handler, I think, at the college level. And I think that because he's so big and so you know wiry and able to do things athletically, uh, he'll be effective at the NBA level, particularly out in transition uh, and particularly out of ball screens. Uh, I also like the fact that he can kind of beat his man in isolation occasionally. Like that was something that I thought yeah. he might struggle with coming into Arkansas. But like there are a lot of moments if you go back to the Maui Invitational, particularly where you will see him just beat his man. Um, the shooting is a real worry. Uh, I, I don't like the mechanics. <laughs> I do not like the mechanics at all. <laughs> It'd be I, weird if you did, because it's like, yeah. it, it's just like a weird, like three part shot that you're just like, oh, no. Oh, no. Almost every time he takes it. Yeah, I do think that. His touch is better than someone like Amen Thompson's, for instance. Like, okay. I don't think it's okay. that broken. Like, he's shooting 36 from three despite those terrible mechanics. He's shooting 71% sure. from the line so far this year. Um, but it, it it's going to take some time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's going to take some time to fix that thing. Uh, I, I Look, these are the kind of guys where... I tend to overvalue them. Like I, I know my own biases as, a, as an evaluator <laughs> and it's guys that process the game super fucking well and yeah. think through things and can defend and are super high level passers and have great positional size. Like this, Anthony yep. Black is a vortex of <laughs> ma me making a mistake as an evaluator. And <laughs> uh, I am, I am concerned, but also uh, have deep affection for his game. Um, I'm very excited for your answer to this question. So leaving aside Wimby and Scoot, because we're, we're not talking about them. Are there any prospect team fits that you are already dreaming about? Like a prospect where when you watch him, you're already thinking, oh, he's got to go the magic or that guy's a piston, something like that. I'll be honest. I haven't thought about it for the guys below Wemby and Scoot yet on that front, just because like there's so many crazy variables there. Um, I mean, like it, it would be kind of funny to see Toronto take Amon Thompson. Yeah. <laughs> just like a full yeah, yeah. project 6'9", can't <laughs> shoot, think we can fix it go play out in transition, go be super aggressive, trying to force turnovers. Uh, he fits literally everything that they look for uh, as a front <laughs> yeah. office. It feels like, um, yeah, I mean, I I'm like trying to think of honestly, like so many of these teams, I just want one of when or Scoot to go there. Like I, I desperately want Scoot to go to Orlando. Like that's what I, yeah, like, that'd be so oh, fun. Yeah. I think he'd be perfect. What, what's the perfect Wibanyama I mean, everybody wants to talk about that. Oh, he should go here, or go there. Like, what would be ideal? 
for him. Like the you place team, him there and it's like, oh my gosh, it works. Yeah, I'll answer that a couple of ways. So the team that I think most desperately needs him is Charlotte because they need something. Um, no question. Is yes. In an abject mess. Uh, yes. I think that Houston makes a lot more sense as a rebuilding project if you slide everyone down a notch by adding Wembenyama. Like, I don't really think yeah. Jalen Green is like a number one on a title team, but I think he could be a number two. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Jabari Smith would be like a phenomenal number three who's like a super aggressive help defender and would allow you to play five out next to Wembenyama. And then like you could get Tari Eason on the court as a guy that like can't really shoot yet. I know his numbers say he can shoot, but like he gets left wide open all the time when you watch the Rockets. Um, yeah. Like he allows you to he he makes everything make sense in a real way for Houston. Uh I mean, like Detroit with Cade would be absolutely phenomenal. Or you, you give me Orlando uh, with him next to Paulo and Franz Wagner. I mean, Jesus, like that would be incredibly fun. Are there any bad Wemby destinations? It sounds like are they're there all any great. Bad Wemby destinations. I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, look, when you're getting like the best prospect since LeBron, I mean things 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 get easy real quick if you're building a team um the, yeah. the one that might be most fun is the team that you guys were like give me oklahoma city like oh, give, man. give me the twin towers of wemby and chet like that would be incredible i don't even want to think about it. i can't even i, I, even I can't even let it. myself go there like yeah we can't do it like we just can't do it if we devote too much energy to it there's no way it happens so we at least have to give ourselves a chance <laughs> we're making the play in we're making the we're focusing on the play in right now yeah <laughs> <laughs> we're on to the play in <laughs> oh my gosh uh so when you release your next version of your big or i guess when do you release it your next uh, I think I have a mock that's on the schedule for next week that I have to write. Ooh. <laughs> okay. Okay. So who would be like the biggest riser or faller from late November oh, to now? Huh. That's a good question. Max Lewis would be up there uh, for Pepperdine. Okay. He'll probably mm-hmm. be somewhere in the top 18, 20 for me. Um, six, seven wing can really shoot it. I worry about the defense and I worry about the fact that like a lot of his offense right now comes in like post mismatches, but he can actually shoot off of movement at a really high level. And he's like a very real NBA caliber athlete at six foot seven um, hmm. that is hitting 44% from three and 54% from the field. Like that, that is a, to me, like a, a first round pick at the end of the day, like for sure. And like, wouldn't stun me if he rose to, you know, 12, 13, 14 at the end of the lottery. Hmm. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. I know I'm looking outside right now. Sun's out, birds are chirping. It's time to start getting outside. Uh, I know that I like to get outside and play basketball with my kids. And honestly, I need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys. And Peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10 minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60 minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. 
There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, Sam, thank you for answering all of our questions. 50 minutes of questions. And your reward is to play Andrew (laughs) versus the Beat, our weekly trivia show where Andrew goes head-to-head with an NBA beat writer, or in this case, Sam Bassini, writer at The Athletic, host of the Game Theory Podcast. And in honor of Sam's rookie rankings, this is a rookie's edition of Andrew versus the Beat. All eight questions tonight will be about this year's rookie class which Sam should know very well. You should probably get all of these correct. We'll see. Uh, So, Sam, how this works. Uh, There's eight questions. You're just going to give me a number between one and eight. It'll correspond to a question. Maybe easy, maybe hard. If you get it right, you'll get two points. If you get it wrong, Andrew will have a chance to steal for one. So, Sam, start us off with a number. Wait, are all the questions only worth two points now? Have you you made some adjustments to the format, Alex? No. Actually, there is a four-pointer today, okay, but I... (laughs) I'm just checking too excited. I like to hide (laughs) one in there. That's worth more points. All right, let's go. Number seven, number seven. There is only one team in the NBA who has not played a rookie, a single minute this season. Who is it? The Lakers. Oh my gosh. The Lakers. That is incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal. Oh, they played Max Christie. Yeah. Yeah. This is a good one. Yeah. This is a good one. Did the Celtics play a rookie? <laughs> Guys, what team told us they don't care about the draft? Oh, the Suns. The Phoenix oh, Suns. No. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> the All Suns right. are a good one. Andrew, board is yours. Uh, number one. Question number one. Among rookies who have played at least 500 minutes, and for context, there's 16 rookies who have played at least 500 minutes. Which rookie has the best on-off differential according to cleaning the glass with a plus 12? Dyson Daniels? That is incorrect. Sam, you have a chance to steal two points. Uh, so I think I think it's one of Christian Coloco or Walker Kessler. I just don't know which one. I'm going to go Christian Coloco. Sam? That is absolutely correct. Yeah. For one wow. and, and for for what it's worth, I think those I kind of wrote this in the thing too. I, I think that those numbers are a bit noisy. Uh Coloco is like a center that's allowing teams to shoot like sixty one percent at the rim against him and he doesn't yeah. like contest all the time. But he plays a ton with their starters and that bench unit is an absolute nightmare. So 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations. You got a point and you have control of the board. Okay. Where would you like to go next? Number three. Question number three. There are only two rookies who have played in every single game so far for their respective teams this season. Who are they? And you get one point per correct answer. <coughs> is Jabari Smith one? That is incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal. Damn. And Andrew, you could potentially steal two points here. I believe Jabari ben missed Matherin? one game. Ben Matherin is one of them for one point. Andrew, can you get the other? What about what about Tari? Oh, Andrew, that is correct. He steals both points. Wow, a dramatic turn. And Andrew, you now have control of the board with the lead. (laughs) Number two. Question number two. As of Wednesday night's games, which team has given the most amount of minutes to rookies? And to let you know how close this was, the top team and the second team are only separated by 21 minutes. I had to double check after last night's game. So it's close. Um, Is it Detroit? That is incorrect. Sam, you have a chance Uh. to steal. Andrew, Detroit was number two. They were 21 minutes behind. I was like toggling between two teams and no. Houston. Houston is also incorrect. The correct answer is the Indiana Pacers. Indy. Indy. Those are the two I was toggling between. Yeah. I I was between Indy and Houston. Damn. Uh, Houston was three, I believe. Okay, Sam, the board (laughs) is yours. You're only down by one. Number eight. Question number eight. There are only two rookies who are top five in the draft class for both total three-pointers and total blocks. Who are they? And you get one point per correct answer. Total threes and total blocks in the top five of the class. Yes, for both of those stats. Okay. Uh, Jabari Smith. That is correct for one point. Okay. And... I'm like running through my brain to like make sure there's no obvious one. And I'm like trying to think of like, is it easier to go by blocks or to go by threes? <laughs> to um, narrow it down. Yeah. To narrow yeah. it down. Like Jabari yeah. is like, feels like the only obvious one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I am going to say Ben Matherin. You are going to say it and it is going to be wrong. Andrew, you have a chance yeah. to steal for one point. <sighs> What about Keegs? Keegan Murray. Andrew, it is, in fact, Keegan Murray. Yeah. Okay. That's a good one. He's also in the top six for steals. I was trying to do a question with that as well, where they all combined. But if he had been top five in steals, it would have just been all three, but I couldn't get it. Uh, Andrew, you are up by one. It's three to two. We have three questions left. What a great matchup. Number four. Oh, Andrew, who currently leads... The rookie class in charges drawn with eight. Eight charges. Oh, my gosh. Leading all rookies. Eight. If our guy Jay Will played enough minutes, he'd have a lot more than eight. (laughs) He goes for a charge on every play. Every play. That is his NBA skill currently, (laughs) is taking charges. I honestly was going to say him, even though he's played like 250 (laughs) minutes. (laughs) 
Hey, it could be him. Maybe I'm throwing you off the scent. I, uh, I don't think it's been. I don't think it's been him. I can't. I've watched every minute he's played, and I don't think he's had eight. <laughs> um, what about Jeremy Sohan? Jeremy Sohan. That is incorrect. Sam, you have a chance to steal and tie this up with two That's questions. Good Christian Brown. Christian Brown is your answer. The correct answer is Andrew Nemhard. Yeah, Andrew that's a good one. Nemhard. That's it. Okay. Okay. Wow. It does sneaky take a lot of them now that you say that. Yeah. Sam, uh, the board is yours. You're down by one. The four point question is still out there. Sucks. Question number six. Which non center rookie has the most dunks this season with 34? So Jalen Dern leads the rookie class. Makes sense. Yeah. 78 dunks. Which non-center rookie has the most dunks this season with 34? Okay, so like Paulo Bancaro has played some center here. Like, does he qualify for uh, this answer? You you could guess him. He is, uh, I'm thinking of like Christian Coloco, like guys who are just thought of as centers. Okay. Ben Matherin. Ben Matherin, that is incorrect. Andrew up chance to steal for one point. This has to be Jalen Williams, right? It is J-Dub from the Oklahoma City yeah. Thunder. He does throw him down yep. a decent amount in transition. Yeah. And he has two. He had like 100 the other night against the Celtics. Well, I saw it right in front of my that's face. That's what took him ahead of Shaden Sharp for this question because Shaden Sharp is at 32, which is also kind of okay. wild. Does Matherin um, not have that many? Am I like losing my mind? I feel like I see him dunk like. I know. I don't. Let's look it up. I was a little surprised when it wasn't him. The number is 16. That. Only oh, 16. Oh, wow. He's like oh, half wow. as many. Yeah. I guess that. Interesting. Um, okay. Final question. Andrew, you get first dibs at this. Now, this question is worth four points. So, Sam, hold on. You still got a chance. Still in. Andrew screws this up. Okay. Paulo Bancaro is the only rookie this season to score 30 points. In the last five seasons, there are four players who scored 30 in a game as a rookie and are no longer with the team that drafted them. Can you name them? <laughs> One point. In the last five drafts. Yeah, so this is going back to Luca's draft. These are players that scored 30 points as a rookie and are no longer on their teams. How many can you name? Oh, boy. This question rules, Alex. <laughs> this is a great one. <laughs> This is really tough. What about what about Wendell Carter? No, Andrew, and that means that Sam has a chance Dang to it. not only tie the game up, he could win it here if he could get three oh, of no. these four names. No. I'm going to read the question one more time to set the stage. Paulo Bancaro is the only rookie this season to score 30 points. In the last five seasons, going back to Luca's draft, there are four players who scored 30 in a game as a rookie and are no longer with the team that drafted them. How many can you name? <sighs> Okay, Tyrese Halliburton? Mm, that sounds... That's, that feels yeah, right. That sound, Doesn't that, that sound, feel right? That sounds right. <laughs> I don't know if he dropped 30 as a rookie, though. That's like uh, a lot. That is a hard thing to do. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. So yeah. the Wendell Carter thing freaked me out. I just looked it up. He scored 28. <laughs> gotcha. Carter did. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, Let's it. go look at uh, Tyrese Halliburton, because that also sounds correct. <laughs> Uh, he I'm gonna guess no if you don't have it. Oh, also scored 28. Yes, 28. <laughs> I got both of you guys. 
now that means Andrew wins. But really, but really, I'm the winner because of this question. Uh, the names were Marvin Bagley, yeah, uh, Kevin Porter Jr., Kevin, I oh. him. Kevin Knox, gross, and my favorite, absolutely, one. Would have that. my absolute favorite one, number four, Tail Maladon. For the Oklahoma City Thunder. Oh, dang. In the just wretched bubble <laughs> season Scored like where nobody played on the Thunder. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Tail Maladone. Did feels the bubble now. actually happen? Like, are we, are we sure that that existed? Dude, I, I am very sure because I sat there. I went to the Thunder home games, sat there in my essentially cubicle in my see-through cubicle <laughs> with my box dinner watching Teo. for 41 nights watching Teo Maladone <laughs> and Poku play basketball. It was unbelievable. We're all wearing like they required us to wear double masks so I'm sitting next to like Royce Young and Joe Masato with double masks <laughs> on like leaning back trying to yell at each other that cool play by Teo. What? Cool. It's not worth it. Not worth it. None of it was worth it. Okay. Uh, thanks to Sam uh, for joining. This was really Wait, fun. Time uh, out, guys. We didn't get to the like 30 minutes on the Noah Vonley trade to San Antonio. Like, what are we doing here? Come oh, yeah. On. You got big thoughts on that. We didn't even mention that uh, trade season has started. Brad That's Stevens right. out there making deals. We start with a beautiful microtransaction that only has cap implications. It's yeah, beautiful. Shout, shout out Wick Grossbeck's bank account that just got saved like $7 million. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, Sam, thanks so much for joining. Go follow Sam. Go listen to the Game Theory Podcast. Subscribe to that on your podcast catchers. Go, go hit subscribe on their YouTube channel, too. It's really fun. Uh, watching the show as well. So thank you so much, Sam. We appreciate you, man. Uh, I appreciate you guys. Uh, I'm just disappointed that I think I, I can't remember what the score is in our trivia battles. I think that it was two to one to you and I could have evened the score might have been two to two. I don't know. But the next uh, time you're I definitely get, leading now. I've been planning this for a while. The next time I get sick, I'm going to go back and listen to all the podcasts and Total it all up so that I can actually present that this is, information to our guests. I gotta wait till that I'm is sick. psychotic behavior, Al. Well, that's like, we what can't I was gonna say. That, that makes your sickness so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm waiting till I'm sick. If I did that now, like when I'm supposed to be working, no, yes, that would be psychotic. But I'm waiting <laughs> for a nice cold. Oh my gosh! All right, thanks, Sam. Appreciate you, man. Of course. Thanks again to Sam Vecini for joining today's show. Go leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you do that, we will read it on the show. Promise you that. This first one comes from Show Bid a Money. This review says, Please have Josh Robbins on every show going forward. Five stars. Sorry to all the other staff writers at The Athletic, but I would like Josh Robbins to be on every podcast going forward, not just the Slam and Jam. Not even just basketball podcasts. Not even just the Athletic Podcast Network podcast. Every single podcast on earth would be improved with Josh Robbins on them. That would be a perfect world. Thank you so much wow. for that review. <laughs> Thanks Sounds so like much to Josh again. That person needs to listen to bullet points if they're uh, that big yeah. of a fan of Josh. He has a podcast. You can go listen to he it does. now. 
check out the Bullet Points podcast again. Uh, and then this next review comes from Schlecht2009. Now, full disclosure, this review did come from my wife. Um, she left a five-star review. It was very nice of her. So there's a little bit of bias in this one. It says, five stars. Anything Andrew Schlecht is involved with deserves five stars every time. Now, that was my wife that left that review. Mm, full disclosure. Interesting, interesting. Um, extreme bias there, but... Sounds like you're cooking she, the books, she, Andrew. You're cooking the review she, books. I'm trying to cook the books a little bit. She she left it on her own. She sat on the couch and said, how do I leave a review? And I told her how to do it, and that's what she wrote. And if you do that too, we will read it on the show. So thanks so much for listening. Hope you guys enjoy your weekend and enjoy the basketball. We will talk to you guys again next week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.